Before we begin, I'd like to acknowledge that this podcast was recorded on the lands of the Wurundjeri people of the Kulin Nation and that Indigenous sovereignty was never ceded. I pay my respects to elders and custodians past, present and emerging and to those of the lands that this podcast reaches. As I embark on this process of speaking and listening, I'm doing so in the home of one of the longest continuous cultures of oral storytelling on the planet. And so I just thought, okay, where are we at in terms of like, why do you, I feel like an outsider? Or Then I thought, okay, well, I'll just find my people. Mm-hmm. Here are my people. Mm-hmm. What do we want to do? How mm-hmm. do we do this? And I think that if I think about it or look at it through the prism of sound still and thinking about the fact that what amplified the event is my sound system that mm-hmm. I put together, yep. then it fits into the idea that sound is a conduit for a particular ongoing narrative. Hi, I'm Ty Snaith, and this is A World of One's Own, a series of conversations with women and non-binary artists I respect and admire. In each of these conversations, we attempt to break down the how and why of what we make. Together, we look at physical processes and how they relate not only to outcomes, but also connect to the unconscious or non-visual parallels and needs in our lives. Today, I'm speaking with Lucrecia Quintanilla, or as I was saying, Lucretia Quintanilla. And am I getting your surname right, Lucretia? I've always said it like that, but is that... Well, the whole thing, right? Yeah. This is the thing. Let me clear it up. Yeah, clear it up. <laughs> so my name is Lucrecia Quintanilla, but I don't I lived in New York for some time. I just like gathered all these different and I've been okay with it. Like I, I don't like correcting people if, no. if they're... Different places say it in a different way. Different way. I really, you know, being surrounded by African-American kids, I really did like being called Lucretia. It was excellent. I yeah. was like, yes, it's almost, but not quite. <laughs> and then, you know, you just get used to your name. But, yeah. But it should be Lucrezia. 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 Yeah. And Quint- Quintanilla. 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 Yeah. Ah, see? Saying it totally wrong, basically. <laughs> okay. I'll just call you Lulu from now on. I, yeah. <laughs> you can do that. Okay. Lulu is a special type of artist with a genuine desire to be useful in the real world. Her practice has many satellites, which all centre around the idea of sound and amplification. She uses this to understand her place in the world. A big part of her work is being a DJ, a practice which is performative, alive and ultimately research-based. She can read a crowd better than anyone I've ever met. In this conversation, we talk about how Lulu has always been a bit of a punk. She didn't fit and she didn't want to fit. We touch on the idea of enforced multicultural events and how they can often be just plain wrong for the people they're meant to be for. Lulu describes the weirdness of performing multiculturalism as a kind of purgatory. She's hilarious and honest and not to be messed with. Essentially, I love the way that Lulu thinks about what she does as a kind of culture rather than art, making something significant to her and those around her a way of owning her identity and inspiring others to own theirs. So, Lulu, you're technically a a visual artist, but a lot of your work that you've been making, well, for ages really, is about sound, right? So can you elaborate? I think, right, what's happened is that I, I wanted to be a painter 
and I love painting. I, oh my God, I love painting. <laughs> but at some point, a really long time ago, like maybe even like 14 years ago, when I was still painting, I, w- I thought, I started to think about sound a bit more, mm. but mostly think about the language of sound. And I started to think about the limitations of painting. And then... What are the limitations of painting? <laughs> <laughs> well, in terms of like, um, for me anyway, I think I, I have a particular a particular narrative or stories to tell. And I think that there is something about the visual that um, can be quite distracting mm-hmm. for me as a maker. Because it's kind of been through a filter of sort of once removed from reality or distracting in that it's beautiful or? I really love aesthetics. Mm. I love beautiful, making beautiful things. But it's not as immediate or something. Uh, I I find sound to be more immediate now, Mm. but I think because I was DJing for a long time, Mm. I've been DJing for a little bit, a long time, a little bit, you know. (laughs) It's Um, all relative. (laughs) Depending how old you are. I think that sort of started to come in and I realised that that maybe with painting, I, the history of the Western oh, history yeah. of painting was really heavy, heavy on me and I didn't like it. Mm-hmm. I didn't want to answer to that. And I, uh, I think when I first started at art school, I, you know, when I was, I don't know, 18 or 19, I didn't think about that. But the longer I stayed in the sort of art, the environment, mm-hmm. the more, and the more I painted, the more it just felt so heavy. Mm. It's pretty heavy. Yeah. And it's pretty manny. Yeah, and I just <laughs> I'm a I'm a bit of a punk and I just didn't <laughs> I didn't fit. I I, I didn't fit. I didn't want to fit. Mm. I didn't I you know, it's actually <laughs> I don't know. Correct me if I'm wrong, but say there's a trend. Mm. It's actually not hard to do the same thing as everyone else. Yeah, it's which quite, happens all the time. Yeah, it's quite easy, yeah. but it's also really easy to find yourself after that's over going, "What, what the? Hell? What am I now? Who am I?" <laughs> <laughs> so I think I just wanted to come from a place where I knew myself really mm. well, which made it has made it a bit. It's made it a journey. You know? <laughs> but that's sort of what happens, isn't it? You get through the first bit of trying all the things out. And then go either one fits or then you go, oh, but there was this thing all along underneath yeah. that was really true. And for you, like DJing, I mean, anyone that's seen you DJ, it's it's your natural environment for sure. I like it's it. where you're most happy and you and just the fact that like that, it's a skill as well, bringing, it's a craft even, bringing people together and creating that kind of energy in a place through through a shared soundscape or, you know, mm. song is just such an amazing thing to experience. Anyone that, you know, all my best friends I've met on the dance floor or, yeah. you know, there's got to be something to that. Yeah, that's my favourite thing. Mm. I mean, I'm like, I may not like switch the, the tracks and the beat all the time or I may not know this bit of equipment or that <laughs> bit of equipment, but I, I'm pretty... I know a crowd really well. Mm. I can read a crowd and I and I know what people are up for and yeah. I know, you know, just depending on who it is and I know how to manipulate yeah. it or get bring it out, yeah. like encourage it. There's 
there's a huge amount of generosity, I think, in being um, being a DJ or being someone that the an administrator of sound, let's say, <laughs> a painter of sound. You know, it's it's you've got to be so open to everything around you. It's almost like a site specific kind of practice, really, isn't it? It is. I really, mm. and it's research based. Mm. And I also like the idea that you know, depending on where I'm DJing, I like to make sure I put music that no one's heard before that belongs mm. to me. So then there's a, that's like a subversive act really in, yeah. its, in itself. So you sort of got to the point where you've mastered just reading a crowd and giving them what they want and now that's that's where it starts to get interesting, I think. So yeah. you start to sort of, you're educating the crowd. Yeah, but also play, messing around with them because, <laughs> you know, it's, there's there's particular crowds who are not going to get into the kind of music that I love to listen to. And there's only certain times that I can play that music and it's when I DJ. I can play some of that music at home because I want a chill environment at home. <laughs> you know, I yeah, don't yeah. want, you know, this reggaeton that's like really fast and really bass heavy and yeah. I don't, I don't, yeah. So cook, that's when you get not when it. I'm cooking. <laughs> <not> when- <laughs> It's distracting. <laughs> you end up with something really spicy. Yeah, I'm going to put one leg up and the other one down and twerk. I'm gonna... <laughs> with the spoon. Yes. I can sort of see it, though. Um, <laughs> but but when it comes to that, yeah, so I get to, like, it's not even about treating myself. It's like, yeah, I like playing at, you know, some of them, like, uh, art events and stuff Mm. and I know what people are gonna like people are gonna like a bit of this a bit of that but then they're not gonna be ready for Mm. that for reggaeton and I'll just put that on and they'll be like wow this is amazing (laughs) and then you know then I'll put whatever else something nostalgic yeah a bit you know it's like a formula (laughs) yeah is it though is it something you've actually looked at written down no it's an in it's an instinctive formula right yeah and I it is, and I really like watching people. It's my, it's so ideal. Yeah, yeah. It's so good. Oh, yeah, I love watching people too, particularly on the dance floor. There's this sort of like this mini microcosm of the world yeah. happens on the dance floor. Yeah. It's kind of amazing, really. There's always the outskirts. There's the people that want to be in the middle, and then there's the people that are in the middle that don't really want to be in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> That's true. There's the people that can dance and there's the people that think they can dance and then the people the, that don't care. People, I love the people who don't care. Yeah, They're my favourite. Me too. And I think, I mean, it's quite possible we even met on the dance floor. I can't remember. but I, I We've I, danced a lot yeah. <laughs> together, yeah. Yeah, but I think there's a, a real language in that sort of sharing beyond language, you know, mm. I guess. And sometimes I feel like art suffers like capital a art Mm. suffers a bit from a lack of that like Mm. a lack of just pure trusting those into that intuition that happens between either two people or an audience and you know artists missing person and people you know yeah there's a way if if we could bring that back more and maybe that's why you're doing what you do bringing it into the art world you know yeah that's what I do Mm. that's what I so how are you doing that well, it, I, you've just articulated something. I'm glad I get to re-listen to these, add it to my PhD. <laughs> sure, go for it. Thank you. Um, I just want, yeah, I want that. I want, and also because I think about this all as culture mm. rather than art, because I think that for me, as someone who grew up in Latin America, I think culture is so much more important than than the idea of the 
currency around art. Mm-hmm. Or the collectability of value or whatever. That's it. Yeah. And so for me, I don't know, I, I, I sort of made a pact with myself that I was going to make art that was that was in some way significant in that that was significant in for me that meant something to me not mm. you know I'm not talking about making a mark on the world but I'm yeah, saying yeah. that it was signi- that felt significant to me in the way that it it kind of had that that sort of um energy mm-hmm. I don't know how to, that yeah. vibe <laughs> yeah like it's a different meaning beyond something you can put into words yeah it's, it's what makes people feel good together it's like a Real meaning of a tribe or a community or anything like that, but yeah, but not in that corny sense. No, <laughs> no. because in that's the, the, in the I've, real sense. Because yeah. I've tried all the things now, yeah. right? <laughs> yeah. I've got, I've, I've tried all the different ways to to make art now yeah. that I felt were at my that I, you know, mm. I went to art school and I learned stuff, and then I was like, oh, let me try this, let me try that, and then I, I was like, oh my god, community art, no, yeah. I, no, to... well, it's just because it's called that, and anything that a bureaucracy kind of takes over kills it. I mean, everyone knows that. Yeah, <laughs> it's like it, it. Also, like the whole idea of multiculturalism and all that stuff yeah. is just Forced. like, yeah, and and frightening, <laughs> really frightening to me because once you start performing something as though it's it's from the past, mm. and you're performing something for to to a crowd of people for their pleasure. Mm. Just it's it's really creepy for it's me. Weird. It's like a museum or something, whereas it's something that you're doing now and being in the world is not yeah, through that filter is a bit kinda awkward. It always feels a bit awkward. It's like a to me, it's sort of like a purgatory from <laughs> that it's so, so Christian. Like mm. it's a per- multiculturalism was like for me like the <laughs> the purgatory, Here are the other people. <laughs> yeah, the, yeah, the purgatory from having been somewhere about to go into like, <laughs> you know, like um, assimilationist heaven. Yeah, it's yeah. like no, nah. so wrong, isn't it? <laughs> yeah, I just, just everyone's here. We're yeah. all here, and we're doing <laughs> shit, and we're doing shit, and there's lots of kids doing stuff, mm. and and you have to negotiate this stuff all the time, and that's sort of what I wanted. Yeah. And you've been working a bit with kids lately, haven't you? Oh, because I have one. <laughs> oh, yeah. One of them. Yeah. I have one of those. And um, so I work with one at home. No. <laughs> he's very difficult. No, no, he's, he's no, excellent. He's gorgeous. He's beautiful. Um, the mornings, however. <laughs> but, <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to, I don't know, I, I just had this project that I worked on with Caroline Garcia in which we asked all these different, uh, well, two different kids groups to come and perform. But I also like the idea of not just being about kids, but mm. uh, having like a bigger, a, like a sort of larger idea of thinking about sound and music as mm. a um, something that you add on. And they were all different groups from diasporas, right? Mm-hmm. So African diaspora and the Filipino diaspora, Latin mm-hmm. American diaspora. And so I like the idea that that you still have to grapple, mm. <laughs> of course, mm. as you are here, mm. you still deal with um, 
cultural things mm. belonging to the culture that you are born into. And so I like the idea of thinking about that rather than let's include the children into a, a usually grown-up event. It's more about thinking about how well that's the tools that they've got right that's that's what they're using to to be part of the place that they're living in so whether they're young or old I mean I always think it's a bit ageist anyway generally the way that we live is pretty ageist and sometimes kids have the best energy oh my god yes and the least kind of self-criticism and self-doubt and they've just got so much sort of you know oomph to put into anything which is sometimes hard and yeah. infuriating and they don't know where to direct it but these kids were yeah everyone was great mm. so who, how did you find how did you end up working with those groups of kids so one of the groups was a um a dance troupe mm. a hip-hop dance troupe really excellent um agile beautiful movers they they go to a dance school Mm-hmm. How did you meet them? Then? Um, I met them through uh, Benji, Russ, mm-hmm. and um, Caroline's event at Acme. Mm-hmm. So that was a crossover. And then um, through the Fitzroy, um, I think there's a Fitzroy Community Centre. Mm-hmm. That's where we met the Lit Queens. They're amazing. I've seen yeah. them. Oh, I've seen footage of them on social media. They're amazing. They're from, are they Sudanese? Uh, I'm not exactly sure. I think it's different. Different, yeah. yeah. Communities. But it was, um, yeah, I mean, they, they, they're they all girls. They just kick ass. The yeah. way they, they, every, all their lyrics are really strong and they dance and they just, yeah. I mean, there were so many little kids because, of course, there's going to be kids performing, lots mm. of kids Parents take their kids mm. and they were watching in the audience and they were like, their mouths are wide open. <laughs> it was so beautiful, like completely captivated. Yeah. And then, yeah, so we had grown-ups too. Mm. So keeping in that idea, um, we commissioned three different artists to take, well, to create a set to dance to, but um, to create music that, Referred. I mean, it wasn't even that prescriptive. I mean, mm. I just said anything, anything. But somehow everybody got on board with it, and so they made Raquel Solier and um, Neil Kabatingan put uh, together these. They remixed the music from their uh, family, these records, mm. and they mm. made them to what they like, and they made them into dance tracks. So people were dancing. Cool. There were grandparents there. That's awesome. Anyway, so that I mean, do you see that as a kind of as a kind of research as well in your practice, or do you see that like how does that fit that kind of event, which isn't usually sort of what you do? Yeah, but how does that fit into your practice as an artist? Like, what is that? What is that? I don't really. I, I'm trying to work that out mm. because it's only been a couple of weeks since it happened. I'm not sure how to locate it because I think there's if there's anything that I want it not to be mm. is, um, you know, that relational aesthetic stuff or that mm-hmm. sort of or that social practice because it's not that, because mm. it's alive. It, it's not it's like real. a – yeah, it's not a gesture, mm. a one-off gesture. It's just a, a, an event that has causes and consequences that hopefully – 
grow. Grow. Mm. So it's kind of like a satellite, isn't it? Like it's like your, you know, your practice is kind of interesting and mine is not that dissimilar. Mm. But that the tricky thing is sort of working out how all those satellites, what they, <laughs> what they are, like how they fit together. They fit together somehow because they happen. But, you know, I think as you get on to this point that we're at, like mid-career or mm. whatever it is, um, trying to learn how to talk about them I find really difficult. Some people seem to find it easier. But with a practice that's quite, you know, multidimensional and one foot in an academic realm and Mm. one foot in a very real kind of realm Mm. through different ages, through different cultures, like it's a kind of a difficult beast to put in in a bio, 150-word bio, isn't it? Yeah, it's really difficult. (laughs) It's really. It's kind of a nightmare, right? Okay, so this is what it is, right? <laughs> this is, I've always wanted to do this. I've always wanted to be able to live in the real world and live, you know, not just live in this sort of uh, world where you go to openings and your social world is mm. only, because that's really isolating for someone who, you know, think about the demographics of people mm. who go to particular exhibition openings. And so I just thought, okay, mm. What, what's the what's the issue here? What's the what? Where are we at in terms of like why do you, I feel like an outsider? Or then I thought, okay, well, I'll just find my people. Mm-hmm. Here are my people. Mm. What do what do we want to do? How mm-hmm. do we do this? And I and I think that if I think about it or look at it through the prism of sound, still and thinking about the fact that what amplified the event is my sound system that mm-hmm. I put together, yeah. then it fits into the idea that sound is a conduit for a particular ongoing narrative, mm-hmm. and so in as that, is art, as is art, mm-hmm. and and sound art that's mm. what it is yeah but it's sound art not in the way that we know of like you know <laughs> I know <laughs> you know there was nobody unless they were toddlers but there were no there was nobody crawling around the ground twiddling <laughs> knobs like <laughs> with beautiful flicky hair which I've always coveted but I will never have yeah so dismissing dispelling what we know of as sound art and sort of broadening that term I guess to reclaiming what it (laughs) what it actually can be is a much broader um you know idea of of what it can achieve because I've always found sound art because we call it narrow s sound art quite limiting and pretty exclusive yeah, I think that's what it is. And also because maybe I've always wanted to, you know, I've hung out with a lot of sound people before. Maybe I've always wanted to have something to do with that mm. world or be involved in it, but felt really excluded by it, but for some reason felt okay with that. Yeah. And then at one point I was like, I don't know. I think mm. I, at one point I just thought, hang on, maybe I just need to move away from you. People. people for a little while <laughs> like maybe it's time for me to just try something mm. on my own and to do that I actually have to go away from this yeah and yeah. do you think that's helped do you think you could get to a point then where you can kind of go back and because uh, I, I mean I find with the art stuff in particularly where we live in Melbourne mm. what often becomes problematic is the silo the sort of silo effect that as much as you try to be a conduit between worlds, mm. it still seems to happen. 
But do you think that there might be a point where some some of those, you know, things break down a bit more, where it can be a broader, you know, pool, where we all actually kind of accept that we do slightly different things within sound art or within art? Yeah, we all do, though. Yeah, but still people kind of tend to own these little tiny definitions of it. And they should and they yeah. can, but there's other stuff going on around them. They mm. can do that, but mm. it's not fun. <laughs> It's fun for them. <laughs> well, it's not fun for me. No. <laughs> what I'm saying is like to think that you are corralling something mm. is to sort of quell its limitations. Yeah. And I think that that the bits where that stuff, stuff spills into different is areas is the interesting bit. Mm. So, yeah, I, of course it's fun for everyone to, to, have, to know where you're at. Maybe that's it. It's it's sort of come, it's grown from a place of like, well, this is what I understand and this is what I can kind of control. So this is where I stay with these people that also are like that. But for me, I mean, part of the, the genuine beauty of going to something where there are lots of different people from different is actually kind of meeting people. Mm. But then you realise that not everyone's like that. Like not everyone's like that. Well, it's true. And I, I am a particular type of person as well. Mm. And I think that Maybe I can just say, I. that's why I kind of allow myself to say, you know, that is boring because for so long I really did try to fit into that. I mm. really did. Yeah. And I, I didn't. And <laughs> that stuff doesn't feel good when you're trying to fit in. And yeah. it, to me it became a symbol of like the larger society that I also didn't fit into. But it's funny. I mean, I, I feel like that even. I feel like that in the art world and I've always felt like a, an outsider and for whatever reason. But maybe then I started to think maybe everyone feels like an outsider. In the art world? Yeah. Well, I feel like an outsider to that system but I also feel like Oh, well, I felt like an outsider to a particular, like, artistic language that mm. didn't apply to me and that I didn't want to speak. Mm. So, you know, I probably could have been part of that system if I had decided to go all sort of, like, colourful with my practice. Yeah, or or make a, a motif that you just repeat. Every time you do something. Yes, I, 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 maybe it's not too late. <laughs> maybe you can take this bit out of the conversation where I go off and make all Latin-flavoured paintings. I mean, that is a thing and yeah, there's, I, there's thing. lots of merit there. And what I'm saying, I guess what I'm saying is that um, – <laughs> what a tricky conversation. <laughs> That's what it's about. <laughs> you don't, you, you know, it's, I, I just find it endlessly fascinating. And I guess where the title of this project came from, like I was thinking about how it's evolved from Virginia Woolf's idea of a room of one's own yeah. to now we're, you know, liberated, independent women, supposedly. Well, you know, to an extent, we're beyond the room. But now it's almost like in order to, for people like us to claim a, a space mm. in that landscape, it's, you got to create almost like your own world. You have to make your own room. Yeah, big one, <laughs> yeah. really big one, and then invite heaps and heaps and heaps of people into it. Yeah. But then what's interesting is that there seems to be these kind of like parallel worlds that every now and then if there's enough of a someone sort of interjecting them, they can sometimes, like a bubble, you know, they can join together. Yeah. And that's what I find really, really exciting is yep. when those bubbles are flexible enough to just go boink and then make a big one, you know? It's it's so great when that happens. So with the events, how do you think, like I know there's this sort of 
bit highfalutin idea of how music transgresses boundaries or mm. thresholds or, you know, how does that actually happen? Like when you watch that in action. So you said some people come from the art world, some people come from all different places to be there. How, what is it that happens that, that, that allows them to just all kind of be okay with being there? I have no idea. Mm, it's I, kind of magic. It is magic. It is. <laughs> it is magic. <laughs> I actually think that uh, it helped the, that it was the last event for the next wave. Uh-huh. And so it was a celebration. It was a celebration. And I guess people are interested. I, I don't know how it is that people, I mean, it was great. It was really good. And, you know, the, there's bits of all the things that we've talked about as mm. part of those projects you know there's there's bits to do with with culture there's bits to do with like formal aspects Mm. you know there's bits to do with like generations and there's Mm. I I just try and set it up I just try and set it up so that and talk about it in a way that's um explicit about what will not what will happen but about the elements that are coming in and Mm. describe them but then you can't really control anything mm-hmm. else. You can't. And so all you can do. Set the scene. Yeah. And, and all I you can that... do while you're there. Mm. Yeah. It's like an experiment, isn't it? It's like putting all the sort of chemicals and stuff in together and then something might react and create a thing. But then, I mean, everyone's been to parties where it just doesn't, it just doesn't happen for whatever reason. Yeah. I think it was really good spending those $30 on confetti. was the <laughs> My friend said, I didn't know this was going to be like Serpentine Junior because it was, there was so much confetti and the kids were like bathing in it. And they were, I don't know, there's things that you can't plan for. And Mm. I don't know, I guess like you just try and be as generous as possible. I think that's, that is key, definitely. So with the work that um, I've sort of seen recently that you've been making for galleries, mm. so because you do still make work in different sort of realms, yeah. Um, the re- recurring motif <laughs> is um, the conch or the that shell, yeah. With the sort of it looks like it's acting as a speaker, yeah. It, can you talk about that? So there's a couple of conches, mm-hmm. and um, I went I went on residency. Uh, last year to Banff and um, I applied I didn't specify what I wanted what department of Banff I wanted to go to well or maybe I put a a lot of boxes all of them (laughs) like when I come (laughs) and so they put me in the ceramic department really and I was thinking yeah and I I didn't know that that's amazing yeah because I had already started doing some ceramic work yes that's yeah but more insulation work. And then I thought, okay, well, I'm going to keep going with this thing. Mm-hmm. And so then, oh, and then I was in Canada and I felt really terrible that my family lives in El Salvador just down the road and I didn't go. Didn't <laughs> That's all right. It's okay. I mean, it's just, there was no, I'll go next time. But, but you were thinking about your family. Yeah, and then I thought about the <laughs> sky. Yeah, well, I thought about the sky was the same and yeah. I was there looking at the same stars. On the same side of the world. On the same side yeah. of the world, you know, because the stars that we look at here are so different I, and they look so familiar mm. and I was like, oh, my gosh. Well, nostalgic. Well, not so much nostalgia. It's like um, I felt the presence mm. of 
the very familiar presence mm. of something. Mm. And so then I just, I also had um, really terrible um, altitude sickness. Oh. Okay, so this is how the shells came out. Yeah. I'm, I'm getting. No, no, I can tell you're getting there. And so I got really bad altitude sickness for a week. It was really, really terrible. Oh. And um, <laughs> this person came up to me who lives there and said, you need to know that the people, the Indigenous people of this area saw that what you're going through as a transformative thing. So just really? go, just, you'll be okay. And I just looked at him. He was like, a, <laughs> yeah. And I just looked at him and went, okay, I'm going to go with this. I, want, I have no option. I think I'm going to die. This is a good thing. This is a good thing. <laughs> yeah, we're going to be okay. Yeah. So I got all, I think I got all mystical while I was there. <laughs> And I read, uh, well, I read Octavia Butler. Mm -hmm. I really wanted to read the parable of the sower. So I read that. And the funny thing about it was that I was talking to my son who came with me, who was 11 at the time. And I was telling him that when I was thinking about the sky, I looked at it and I went, oh, my God, this is the same sky. And not just that, but Mm. I remembered when I was a kid thinking that it was like a a blanket, like a velvet, black velvet blanket I just imagined it Mm. and I imagined it with little poking holes Mm -hmm. and that's where the light the stars were and then I opened up Octavia and keeping with mystical I opened up Octavia (laughs) Butler's book and I'm reading it and there's the Latina character the Latina (laughs) character in the book whose son's name is Ruben Quintanilla no yep did you know that already before you read the book no that's bizarre yeah, that's what I mean. It's something crazy happened. That's weird. <laughs> and so I went with it, yeah. as my uh, shaman said. <laughs> as you would. <laughs> Not that he was a shaman, he was just uh, somebody. But yeah. Um, so I went with it and then I saw in the book that this character said to her daughter the book in the book the same story and mm. I just was frozen with, this, about the stars. Yeah, about the stars. Oh. But she put Christ in there. She oh, said yeah, that no, it was no. Jesus, what, uh, God watching through the... His blanket. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so then I, I started to think about how it could make a work that captured that. And mm. then I, how I could make it a sound work and how that sound work could travel and what object I could make. And then I remembered that when I was a kid, one of my favorite things, and still is, to look at at the Mayan section of the Natural History Museum or in back when I was a kid in El Salvador, my favorite thing to look at were the shells, the mm. conchas. Always was such a puzzle. Why, being seeing as there were so many conchas around, that mm. people would be compelled to make one out of clay. Mm. So then I made one. <laughs> Full circle. Was it hard? Yeah. Hard to make a shell. I can imagine it would be really hard. Yeah, because I do all that thing where I think I'm going to make this thing and I'm going to make it the same as the, this is where the painting thing mm. comes from. I'm going to make it the same as that thing. I know that feeling. And sometimes you've got to do everything to, well, I find I have to make it the same as the thing and get it out of the way and then sort of like, make it without looking at the thing or make it, it's sort of like drawing and then you finally get to the thing that you actually want to make, which is, it's interesting, isn't it? But there seems to be sort of like a, a science, there's also like this 
science thing underneath everything, like the stars and even sound and like the, you know, Fibonacci thing of the shell. And it's almost like a knowing science through real life stuff. It's almost, mm. you know, and I guess that's the mysticism is that it's never really just, you know, magic or mysticism. There's always a reason why mm. it happens. There's always a chemical reaction in the brain when you hear a certain beat or whatever that brings you to the dance floor. And I guess that's just maybe coupled with luck that there's enough people that have that reaction at the same time to bring them. Mm. But there is that kind of like freaky science thing going on. It's the vibe, Ty. <laughs> but the vibe has to come from somewhere. It's Yeah, it does have to come from somewhere. But I'm really, I I've, I've feel like I've come to a point where I don't want to think about where no, it comes from. you just want to make it come. I want to know what the um, metaphor is. Yeah. That's all. Yeah. I want to know what metaphors are in these things and what narratives you can make cons- of them. Yeah. But mm. I know what you mean because I mm. did think that at some point. Mm. I did, I, and I, I still think that as well, mm. but then I have to stop myself and think, but what is, how, how is this functional? Mm. How does this function? In the world. Yeah. yeah. That's the fine line between, you know, making art objects that go deep into all of this questioning and are completely useless apart from sitting on someone's, <laughs> you yeah. know, but that's why I found it really fascinating when I saw the image of, with the phone in the, in the conch. Yeah. Because for me, that's really interesting how you then make this object of questioning or object that signifies that whole journey went on, which I thought you were going to say it's just like the inside of your ear because shells are like the, you know, the inside of your ear, it looks like a conch shell. Oh, my God, Ty. <laughs> that's where true. I thought you were going. Well, that's it's sort of how it is <laughs> because as I was sitting there, <laughs> a curator came up that you get visited by curators and mm. she had just curated a show about conch mm. conch art <laughs> what just conscious just work around <laughs> sound and conscious it was really crazy i wow. i she just came and looked at me and i looked at that her and so. like what <laughs> yeah it was such a beautiful experience anyway mm. so she uh gave me this beautiful piece written for i think parquet can't mm. remember the name of the writer but he talks about all the different ways in which the sound that comes out of the shell it has been theorized through folklore and through like academic and scientific worlds. Mm. And it is just what goes on in your ear. Like the way sound travels the same. And that's why it was really hard to make because mm. I tried to make this I tried to make the science thing happen. Mm. It only worked on two, but I made five. Mm. And it could on. I wanted it to amplify. I wanted to make mm. an amplification thing. Mm. Um, and did it work? Yeah, because mm. I made. You know, I've worked on a speaker stack. It yes. only was logical that I made these things. It's like a natural speaker. Yeah, mm. and so then I thought, but where is the sound going to come from? Mm. And then I just thought, a phone, of course. <laughs> but everything comes from a phone now. You know, I sat in a tutorial at RMIT the other day, like a crit for the final year students to mark there, and nearly, I think it was four out of five of these students doing their presentations, halfway through their presentation, used their phone, like just in- instinctively picked up their phone, put the torch on to shine through something or like took a photo and then showed us the photo and I was just so fascinated by how the phone had just become an extension of their way of showing you Mm. know like without even asking is it okay if I do this or you know it was just there in a a flash it was like the flash and it was 
the tool and it was our eyes. And so it's almost, I mean, it's almost part of the natural world now anyway. Yeah. So I, um, I had these, um, broken phones that Mm. didn't take SIM card Mm -hmm. and I just thought about what happens to this amazing tool Mm -hmm. when it doesn't function for us anymore. It does. Mm. Yeah. And I felt like it was a good chance to, it still played music and it was a good chance to use this thing. Perfect. Yeah. And I think I, it really spoke to me anyway about, how what we see as contemporary or contemporary mm-hmm. tools and how they'll fall into or how they f- easily fall into archaeological things, mm. you know. So, yeah, and then I just, my son and I went about recording our walk through the forest, oh. the creaking pine trees of Banff. Because it's beautiful, isn't it? It's just forest upon forest. And the trees, are, the pine trees are so no, like they make beautiful noises, mm. beautiful sounds. Like they creak a lot. Did you hear any falling? <laughs> no falling. <laughs> we didn't see any bears. I was hoping for bears. Mm. Uh, yeah, the wind. But, you know. But that, I mean, that idea of going away on residency as well, I mean, I think for probably a lot of people listening to this series, just that act of you going, taking your child away on residency is something that, is enormously inspiring to a lot of women out there. And how did you find that experience of having Reuben with you while you're away in your mystical zone? (laughs) (laughs) There was a swimming pool at Banff. Handy. Yeah, and so we went there every second day for a couple of hours. Mm -hmm. Um, He made a work. He made two works. Amazing. He is a very... Uh, social kid and he is really confident with adults because he he's an only child and so there were some kids but we didn't really get to spend time with them Mm -hmm. there yeah so he made his own friends and people who were actually amazing Mm. you know he's a much better networker than I (laughs) sure you've given him some skills he, yeah, so he just, he wasn't networking. He was just making friends. He made mm. some really excellent friends and I just let him be. Mm. Uh, he still, it was only, a, it was only a month. So it was a short period of time. Did you do any, when he was younger, did you do any sort of residencies or? I did, but uh, I've done one, we did a residency in Indonesia, mm-hmm. uh, but he's, Father and I were still together, and so we could take turns there. Yeah. So this was harder. Oh, my gosh. But he's older and so more of a grown-up in himself, I guess you can. Yeah, it was. I just gave him as much freedom as he could have, as he he wanted. Yeah, Yeah, because you you don't want to give a child too much. It's unsettling. Oh, my God, they do. (laughs) But I do think a lot of women that I speak to, um, even when they're in relationships, even to artists in a relationship, I think a lot of women find it really difficult at this point in our lives to sort of go, okay, I'm going to take my whole family on residency. It's really hard. It's difficult, but it's worthwhile, right? Like it's. Well, I, uh, yeah, I, I guess was I the just, residency open to it though. Yeah, they were really oh, open. They good. were really happy mm. to have him there. 
Yeah. Did you, because, I mean, recently I've been part of this group um, with with a couple of other art mums like Hannah Tai and mm-hmm. um, Eugenia Liam and there's a group of us and, and Hannah's, one of Hannah's project was um, to just basically ring every residency in Australia and ask them about, you know, whether they could take children. And and we all did it. We did like phone survey as part of our residency for Hannah. And I was just actually shocked at how many of them just didn't even want to answer the questions. They were just like, mm, no, this isn't appropriate. Like, uh, How is it not? So what about 50% of the population that are women that may have children or, or men? Mm. <laughs> what about them? How is that not appropriate? So at a certain point in your career, you're meant to just stop going on residency because you have a child? That's ridiculous. Well, if I hadn't <laughs> gone, ex- it is ridiculous. And if I hadn't gone to this resident on this residency, I wouldn't be so confident mm. about speaking to sound or a particular connection to a narrative or a particular, or have created these relationships with people. It was a big step, Canada. wasn't it? Yeah, for me, mm. like the in terms of my, the development of my work, mm. uh, my child got so much out of it mm. because he got to, he got to, travelling is so good for a child mm. to see different things around the, you know. The way people live. The and, way people live mm. in different landscapes and, you know, the ind- independence that gave him. But it was really difficult. It yeah. was really hard. And, like, sometimes, you know, it it just, we ended up just having we both compromised mm. and you do that i mean you do that in your life anyway as a as a parent i think but it's a, it's a bit harder being out of your comfort zone where you know what's what and how to get there and what to eat and all that kind of stuff yeah it makes it it amplifies it you could say doesn't it like, it, yeah, yeah it does it there was a buffet there's buffets <laughs> It was so expensive. Anyway, <laughs> but it was worthwhile. It was so good. But it was funny. I was listening to something the other day. I can't remember where it was, but they were saying, you know, even if, and I don't think it was even through an art filter or anything, but it was just for, for, for everyday normal people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> um, even if you can just do a couple of things differently in your day every day. I mean, as artists, it's not that I do different things every day because mm. that's just what I like doing and have always been that through having children or whatever. But for a lot of people, they do exactly the same thing every day. Do you know what I mean? And mm. then you learn that pattern and then everything becomes quite dull and then they wonder why people are depressed or they're alcoholics or whatever. But this person was saying, even if you just walk a different way to work or even if you just brush your teeth with the other hand, <laughs> And I was thinking, really? Like that's yeah. that will ch- and they said that actually changes like your neural pathways if you and also it it opens up the possibilities that something different might happen to you. And so it's almost like the whole dance floor thing is if you don't put yourself in that situation where you might bump into someone and be like, whoa, and do a certain move with them and then that, and then afterwards you get a drink with them and talk about them and then you might develop an idea with them or, like, move in with them or have a baby with them. Or, yeah. You know, it's almost like if you don't allow those little moments in your life to happen, you just sort of stay on this straight and narrow, don't you? Like, it- Yeah, I think by default I think because I'm a migrant I've had mm. to live different lives a lot, you mm. know, and... I know, don't know any other way. And so you know, I don't think you have to travel to, but, yeah, like it you helps. said, you know, there's nothing more beautiful for me than to just, like, 
that sounded so highfalutin. Nothing more beautiful. But actually, there isn't than just like walking down Mary Creek. Mm. And, and there's just always something different. Yeah, just taking time out and mm. just walking with friends. It's yeah. really, that is such a nice little shake up. Yeah, I think that's been the sort of, that's what I've got out of this conversation. I love I love the shake up. If you can just make a bit of a shake up, it makes, it just, the you know, it's it amplifies or it comes back tenfold in your work or in your sort of just curiosity with the world. It's yeah. Like, if you don't allow that to happen, everything sort of just stagnates, doesn't it? Yeah. I think we've probably reached time. For my, my internal clock is saying that, but um, it's been really, really good. I feel like I could keep talking for, you know, hours with you. It's been a pleasure. So thank you for joining thank, me. Thank you so much. It was a great chat. Thanks, Ty. See ya. I used to be a carpenter, used to make bookshelves and tables and categorizable freedom to Lulu. Rather than corralling her ideas and processes into one box, there's something incredibly energetic about the way she embraces the stuff that spills outside and makes it her own. Her stories from Banff were so great, it made me think there is really no such thing as coincidence, really just opportunities to be identified. Lulu draws our attention to the fact that what we make is connected undeniably to where we come from, and sometimes even ancient ideas. Above all, I love her focus on the metaphor and narrative of the vibe, asking ourselves how we can be as generous as possible and amplify our best selves by shaking it up a bit. This conversation was hosted by me, Ty Snaith. I'm an artist for those of you who don't know my work. I'm actually making a series of artworks inspired by each of these conversations. If you're interested, the first iteration is showing now at Sarah Scout Presents in Collins Street, Melbourne, and running until the 10th of November, 2018. After that, the documentation will live on my website. For more information about the project and the artists I've been speaking to, head to tysnaith.com. Thanks to my audio producer, Beck Fari, and Melbourne musician, Fia, spelled P-H-I-A, for letting me use this track, End of the Day, from her album, The Ocean of Everything. This podcast was originally conceived as part of the exhibition, Unfinished Business, Perspectives on Art and Feminism at the Australian Centre for Contemporary Art. This second season, and the exhibition, is supported by the Australia Council for the Arts. <laughs>